Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Blood Red channel. I'm Matt Addison and on this special episode of the show, we're looking into a few things Dutch football related, with of course a focus on Liverpool too. I'm joined once again, as you can see if you're watching along on YouTube, by Dutch football expert Michael Statham from Football Arrangi. Michael, so thanks so much for, for joining me today. I know it's been a, a busy weekend for you, so I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, yeah. And also a busy few weeks with the Netherlands at the Euros too. Really busy with what we're doing. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's almost nice having a little lull after the Euros now, but going into the new season, lots of things are going to happen, I'm sure. Yeah, looking forward to, to that. I mean, for, for Holland, it's it's kind of been a disappointing Euros, I'd say. I mean, it, it started so well, didn't it? Three wins from three in the group, but then going out in that last 16, was it a shock and a surprise for, for the Dutch people, really, to, to go out in, in that way and, and in that manner as well? It's hard to say, you know, because before the tournament, a lot of people were slating Frank de Boer's manager and, and criticising him heavily. And and this this went in a in a bit of a wave because months before the tournament, it was all flying towards him, and there was a lot of pessimism surrounding surrounding the players. Then Van Dijk was injured, and it and it got even worse with going into the tournament too. And and Vinaldo being announced as vice captain was an interesting call. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about him a bit more in a moment. And then into the tournament itself, the friendly games just before the tournament didn't look good at all because they played the new formation with five at the back, which we saw in the tournament, which then which then became a real great success because in the three group games, they they were pretty good, I have to say, in the Netherlands. And Wijnaldum was at the centre of a couple of those games. Then the last 16 game happened and the tactics were, were awful. There was no adaptation, basically, to the opposition. I think that's what the Netherlands' problem was. But we knew going into the tournament that playing a bigger team where it was a, a bigger tactical challenge was going to be a problem. It was a shame that it was a Czech Republic though, of all teams because whilst they're a good side, the Netherlands should be beating them. You mentioned the, the tactics there. I mean, obviously Van Dijk was injured, as you say, as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think Van Dijk would have been a big help to the Netherlands or was it just a case of whoever played there, really, that the tactics were just so wrong that it, it just wasn't going to work? At first, I agree with the second thing you said. I think... The tactics were never going to work in certain some situations, but then I reflected upon it, and there was a lack of there were a lack of leaders on the pitch on that day against the Czechs. Van Dijk was was sorely missed for that reason because the going got tough for the first time in in, in the competition, and a player like him, a player like Van Dijk, wasn't around to help solve that kind of problem. I, I think someone like him, it would have been interesting to have replayed that game and having had him there to see what would have happened. I think Netherlands still would have fallen down later on in the tournament because of the tactics, like like we were just saying, and playing a team like England or Italy, for example, later on in the competition would really have um, they would have stalled there. I think. Obviously, Gini Wijnaldum was there. We've got to mention him as well. And obviously, there was a couple of nice goals from him. It just wasn't enough. Yeah. And you know, what did you make of his performance? Was 
was he a little bit quiet, do you think, in that last 16? Maybe it was a time when, you know, big players for Holland needed to step up. Maybe he didn't quite do that. Yeah, agreed. He was um, scoring all sorts of headers in the lead-ups for summer. He was he was actually like in qualifying. I think I think you might have to check this one, edit it out, but I think he actually scored the most headers in the qualifying of all of all players. But he he certainly has a lot of headers to his name and, and was a, a great player in that 10 position, playing behind the striker. Uh, and, and scoring goals, but then going into this last 16 tie, like we were saying, that the, the going got tough for the Dutch, and, and Van Aden didn't step up and leave the team out of this problem that they were in. The voices went quiet, and a couple of players got agitated that were leaders, and all of a sudden it all collapsed in the second half. He's obviously now heading to, to Paris Saint-Germain, no longer a Liverpool player. And I think a lot of people really just assumed that he'd go to, to Barcelona. That seemed to be the story for, for most of last season. What do you make of, of the move to Paris? Do you think that was the right decision? And were you surprised at all that he chose to, to go there over maybe going to, to Ronald Koeman? Yeah, because Koeman's got this link, of course, having having coached Van Aden before. And... Um, Playing for Barcelona come, comes with what you can imagine. And it surprised me that he went for PSG. I can only imagine they offered him more money. That's all I would say, really. Given the stage of the career that he's at, he may have fancied the money more than anything else. And in terms of being a big miss for Liverpool, I think it's, it's fair to say that there's a big gap that they have to fill. But I think it's important to say that he plays a very different role for his country than what he did for Liverpool. Do you think that possibly played into it as well? And, and do you think maybe we might see the more sort of Dutch attacking number 10, Wijnaldum at Paris Saint-Germain under Maurizio Pochettino. Well, I think that's where people have got the best out of Wijnaldum in his whole career, playing for Dutch national team in that position, but also for PSV in the past too. I think the 10 is his best position because he can be the most dangerous there technically, but also as a threat in the box too. So yeah, I agree. I think if they can play him in a 10 position, then Liverpool lost that a little bit there and PSG have got a little game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, there's still that Dutch association with Liverpool with Van Dijk there. But another player as well that's been linked at the moment that I wanted to, to ask you about in terms of Holland is Daniel Marlin, obviously a former mm. Arsenal youth product, has moved away from there and, and done really well with PSV. How good a player is he? And do you think that the links with Liverpool make a little bit of sense? Yeah, I'm a really big fan of, of Marlin. It wouldn't surprise me to see him back in England because of his links to Arsenal and, and the past, that kind of thing. The rumours are strong at the minute that he's going to Borussia Dortmund, although that's nothing confirmed in that. And he is on the move this summer. That That is without a doubt. And I know that he is after a big move and big clubs will be looking at him. Liverpool are one of that sort of select 10, 15 clubs who, who would realistically sign Marlon. So I would be so surprised if Liverpool weren't looking at him. He's, he's made for a pacey league. Um, he's... Just he's he's so good at goal scoring and and he's and he's pacing behind. He's really good to to suit the tactical opposition, depending whether you needed to play him on the wing or um, as part of a two up front. Uh, he's he's such a great player for that. I think anybody that sort of watched him at the Euros maybe might look at him and think maybe he's a little bit wasteful. He missed a good chance, I think, against the Czech Republic. But that's probably not quite a, a fair assessment. Obviously, it's only a four-game period that people would look at. I think over the course of last season, he did a lot more and, and showed a lot more to his game than maybe what the European Championship showed. Yeah, the, he's he's had injuries as well in the past and and still scored a lot of goals considering the the games he's played. I, I agree there's a little bit of wastefulness in him. 
I, I have a feeling, though, and this is just me having watched him for a long time, I have a feeling that whilst he's a little wasteful because of his time at PSV, you, you get given a lot of chances there. I think there's a pressure to playing for a big club and knowing that you get less chances in a game. I think that really suits a character like Daniel Marlin, and I think that he'd rise to that. I can't seem to be one of these flops that always comes from a Dutch league. He's something a little bit different, and he is, he is a massively high-quality player. I can't wait to see what he does, really. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of where he ends up, I mean, you mentioned Borussia Dortmund there. He kind of seems a little bit like he'd suit the Bundesliga to me. Do you think the Premier League would be just as, as realistic as going to, to somewhere like Germany? I do, yeah, because of his pace and it suits that kind of environment. Um, playing for Dortmund, if you've got this pressing game, it, it suits it for that. I wouldn't say he's like it's a strong physical striker, but he's he's certainly one that is very pacey and and a bit a little bit like Memphis Depay in that he's got a very quick turn on him, very quick feet. Um, technical ability is always a given when you're a Dutch forward, to be honest. But he's he's that he's that kind of um, I don't like to compare him to the players because he's his own player, but yeah, that that Memphis Depay mould, and I think that in future if he can bulk out a little bit like Memphis did, he can become even more threatening as a, as a as a lone striker maybe as well. I suppose he's at that right age, isn't he, as well? I think he's 22. He's ready to to take that next step. Do you think he's sort of outgrown PSV at the moment Mm. and really is just too good to to stay there next season? Yeah, I don't don't think another season in the Eredivisie is going to get him anything more. That last season was that season for him to score lots of goals and then to move on. That was that was known from the start of the season that that was going to be the case. In fact, he could have moved last summer if it wasn't for an injury he had. So that now, now is the time for him to go. Would the injuries be a worry at all? I mean, Liverpool had plenty of them last season in various positions. Sort of how sporadic are, are, have they been and how serious have they been in his career so far? He had the one serious injury uh, two years ago where he missed the start of the season. Uh, no, no, sorry. I, um, please edit that bit. <laughs> he, he, he started the season really well and was scoring around about a goal per game. This, this included when he scored five goals in one game um, when PSV beat Vitesse. Uh, and then after that, he had an injury and he had to come back. Um, so I, th- I think that his record of a roughly a goal per game at the time was, was incredible. And, and that injury knocked him back a little bit, but he recovered really well and had a, a stellar season last season. He was a top scoring Dutch player in the league. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that the last season was him, his last season to be ready for a move abroad and... I can see him succeeding somewhere at a big club. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you about another youngster as well in Ryan Gravenberch. Any of our listeners mm-hmm. that are signed up to our Blood Red Club are going to receive a, a podcast on Wednesday with a football scout sort of having a, a chat about him. He's a player that, that Liverpool admire. They've looked at him for a while and is certainly one of those sort of on that long-term shortlist for them to, to look at in midfield. And I think just doing that podcast that, that's coming out on Wednesday got me really excited about him, to be honest. I've started to, to watch a few bits of him. He wasn't a player that I'd seen loads of, but he just looks like a, a real talent and a real player as well that you'd think that Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp would just be perfectly suited to working with each other. Yeah, whilst I can't say that I have a scouting expertise of an actual scout, I can say I've watched him for a number of years and he's still a teenager. Um, I remember when I, I went to watch the Netherlands um, under-17 games and I, I even watched him train and he just he just suited the, the environment of, of the players around him, bearing in mind he was younger than everyone he was with. He's done this throughout his whole career where he's 
been so above expectations that he's always been pushed on uh, to play with players that are older than him. He, when he was 14, he was playing with the under-17s. When he was 15 and 16, he was playing with the Ajax second team. And it was the first team at 17 and 18 years old. He's an incredible talent and he's, he's showing the right attitude too. He, he's someone who, he has his moments where you know he plays for Ajax. You've got to have an air of arrogance about you if you're going to play for Ajax. But he also is, is really grounded by the senior players around him so that he's in this right atmosphere where he's driven to do the best, but also know that he's got to work exceptionally hard to get there. And he's not one of these players, which you hear about sometimes that come from the Netherlands, who, who think they're amazing and they go abroad very early and then they flop. He's someone who's going to stay with Ajax, I believe, for another year. But who knows? Yeah, long term could be an option for a, a bigger club, perhaps in England. And um, he, he will want to move at some point. He knows that his, his best career development chances come, with, come at Ajax. And he had his first season last season playing in that Ajax first team, like all season, if you like, and impressed massively and, and has become, become someone who's actually standing out in that Ajax first team. He's not perfect. He's definitely still a rough diamond, but he has his moments and flashes of brilliance, which make you understand why he was selected in the Euro squad in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a, a real top talent. We go into loads of depth with that Blood Red Club uh, piece that I've put together for, for Wednesday. Anybody that's not signed up, just go to www.bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Stick your email address in. It's completely free and there's extra bonus content just like that for you every single week. But uh, in terms of sort of the, the player himself and, and just to build a little bit more sort of anticipation mm -hmm. about that, really, I mean, where do you think he ranks in terms of, of the prospects that have come through at Ajax in recent years? We've seen Frankie de Jong, we've seen Matthias de Ligt. Is he at that level, do you think? Is he that good that he could move to, to a bigger club and, and make a real impact? That's such a big question. <laughs> uh, I don't want to put my neck on the line and get that wrong, but I'm, I'm going to say, yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Because of the, the, the potential that he's shown but also the way he's been executing at every single age level he's been performing at, which is above where he should be. So, yeah, I, I, think, he, I think he can be. He showed, though, at the Euros that he's not ready yet, quite for, for this top, top level that we're, we're looking at. And when he played his 90 minutes against North Macedonia, he was good, but not great. And when you consider the level of the opposition he's against, you think, could he do a little bit more? People were even calling for him to start for the Netherlands throughout the tournament instead of Martin Delone in defence and midfield. He's not ready for that yet. He will be in a couple of years, a year and a half, so let's say, when the World Cup comes around, given his rate of development. But uh, yeah, he is in that same sort of echelon, really, that we're putting him in because there's lots of great talents that have come through at Ajax and it's the right environment because you play in a competitive league, you can win prizes, and, and, and feel that sense of achievement, but also then go into the Champions League and know that it's a real big challenge to play against the likes of Liverpool, which he, he did already. And you've got to say that given his age, he really stood out in, in that, that fixture against Liverpool, particularly um, at home where he, he, was, he was good, but obviously not brilliant yet. But you could just see his little moments where he, he's, he's not afraid to do, do certain things, not afraid to take the ball away from a couple of other midfielders in the opposition and then, and then play the ball. Not afraid to take a shot from distance when when he could be playing that pass instead. He's he's brave and he's he's got something special about him. You mentioned the clamour to to sort of play him more frequently. I suppose after Holland have been knocked out of of the Euros, that's only going to increase in the future. Yeah. I mean, 
in terms of obviously Liverpool and, and sort of looking at him, the obvious thing would be to say, you know, could he be the Genie Wijnaldum replacement? Could they go back to the Netherlands to go and, and try and get the new Wijnaldum? Is there any sort of similarity between them or is that kind of just a, a lazy, they're both from the same country or they must be the same midfielder type attitude? Yeah, I think so. Just because they play different roles in midfields, Wijnaldum has played deeper before, I do appreciate that. Um, but Havenberg is either a, a six or an eight in the midfield. He can play very deep, uh, something he might do more of in the future, I think, when he's more mature. But for now, he's, he's playing in the eight position and, and he links defence and attack. He's often a threat around the box and trying to create opportunities for the, his uh, other teammates. Um, yeah, I, I, d- I don't see too much likeness in the two of them, although he can thrive in a similar position to what Wijnaldum did do in the eight, maybe, in the future. So there's, there's a slight link there. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt whatsoever, though, that he's an absolute top talent. Certainly one to yeah. watch out for and not the last to, to come out of the Ajax Academy system, I'm sure. Obviously, whether the price is right for Liverpool this summer, we'll have to wait and see. But I suppose you could say the same about Daniel Marlon and a couple of other players, too. If you do want to listen to a little bit more on Gravenberch and sort of go into more details, as I say, just sign up for the Blood Red Club before 6am UK time on Wednesday www.bloodredpodcast.co.uk to do that. It only takes 10 seconds to sign up and it is completely free. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, and from my guest, Michael Statham, thanks for listening and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.